You go to a restaurant, don't you? And you don't know how many people are going to come. How many pop-ups do we need? Oh. That's the thing about it. You never know. Oh, I feel dirty even saying the word torture, which is ironic, really. It was on display in the bottom of a locked filing cabinet, stuck in a disused lavatory with a sign on the door saying, Beware of the Leopard. leopard, leopard. Welcome to Beware of the Leopard, a very splendid and worthwhile podcast covering the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy in alphabetical order. I'm Mark Stedman, and there's something terribly wrong with my bottom. I'm Danny Smith, and if there's anything more important than my ego, I want it caught and shot. I'm John Hickman, and um, I've actually just won the Rory Award for the most gratuitous use of the word fuck in a screenplay. (laughs) That's our explicit tag right there. We're still working through the bees, so let's crack straight on with some fashionably dangerous dining. Bistro Illegal is a bar Ford and Hot Black Desiato used to crash, pretending to be health inspectors. And inevitably, I turn to you, Danny, and ask, have you ever impersonated anyone? Um, yeah, no, yes, kind of, yes. I'm, I'm, ter- I'm, I'm terrible at impersonations, so like, um... Uh, when I was a kid, I used to do a cracking Davy Bell at me, <laughs> but uh, nothing since then. Um, but yes, I have got mistaken for people and not contradicted them, uh-huh. if that kind of is impersonating them. Um, I, I was doing my art degree once and um, I missed a, a tutorial and they only had them like once a month or something. And it's quite a big deal if you missed one. And I was like, right, I'm not going to pass this art degree. Like, it's difficult to pass an art degree at all. I'm not going to pass this art degree. I'm going to become a writer. So I'm going to go. I'm going to go review whatever gig's on. So I check out the listings. There's a gig at Barfly. So I turn up at the Barfly. I'm at the back. I'm, I'm writing notes. And some guy sidles up to me. And he goes, you're a journalist, aren't you? I was like, well, I'm not here just to watch the band. <laughs> and he's like, uh, well, I'm a rep. And apparently he was a rep for like the symbol company, like the, 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 the sponsors, um, the people. Okay. Um, and he was like, uh, oh, so who are you writing for? And I was like, well, just the university magazine. And I'll probably pitch it around to other places. You know, absolute lie at that point. I wasn't writing for the university magazine and I had no idea that you could pitch it around for a couple of places. <laughs> so, um, and he was like, oh, that's very interesting. Can I buy you a drink? And I was like, yes, you can buy me a drink. <laughs> and he didn't stop buying me drinks. Oh, wow. Like the entire wow. night. Um, at one point he was chatting to me and I was like, actually, can I just take some notes? And I made some more notes about the bands because I was being all professional and whatnot. Yeah, yeah. And at one point he was like, yeah, you like these guys. Do you want to come meet them? Wow. So he took me backstage and he, I, I vaguely remember meeting some of them and saying things. Um, I don't remember much the night after that because he kept on buying the drinks. Hmm. And I woke up in the morning in the living room. I don't know how I got home. Your, your living room? Yes, yeah. So I, I, I was like, okay, that was good. Right, cool. Yeah, that's what it's like to be a journalist. That's brilliant. Went, I go, right, I'll write this up now. I'll, I'll, I'll write this review scribbles like absolute couldn't tell hide nor hair of what i'd written not a fucking word there was one point where i'd written quite clearly man in benny hill hat but that does not make a review so this guy presumably was uh was looking at your notepad and was really impressed that you actually knew shorthand yeah it, it did kind of look like shorthand maybe that's what i was trying to pretend to do now whatever you do don't touch that spoon 
The Beastromatic Drive is a wonderful new method of crossing vast interstellar distances without all that dangerous mucking about with improbability factors. This, uh, to me, always felt like the weakest of Adam's transport methods, as it just felt a bit like the kind of stuff we thought was terribly intelligent when we were teenagers. But I suspect I'm in the minority. So, John, can you put me right? I, I guess the, 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 the bit where you said um, when we were teenagers, perhaps we didn't have as much first-hand experience of the, the idea of the bistromatics um, as we might have liked. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I... I hadn't thought of it in this way before, but I guess when I first read that, um, it may have appealed to a certain sense of, oh, that's grown up because they're in a restaurant. Um, so you flummoxed me there because I've never thought of it like that. Now, I like I like Bistromatics um, and I, I touched on Bistromatics the other week when we were talking about... Um, about the bad news engine as well. I, I love, I love these ideas. They really, real, really do appeal to me. Um, so I, yeah, I don't know what your beef is with the Bistromatics drive. I love the way it works. I love the, I love the fact that he takes this arcane set of rules about the restaurant and then uses that to become this propulsion methods. It's just, it's just a, a lot of, it's a lot of fun. As as I, I do do some writing and um, I do keep a notebook regularly and there's sometimes bits in my notebook that are really, really good but don't really fit into anything. Mm-hmm. And very occasionally you will shoehorn them into a quite bland article because you think, well... Got to find a home. Yeah, it being funny is the justification of it being in there. It doesn't really matter as long as it doesn't spoil the flow too much. And it, it kind of smacks of that to me. Mm. I So... Um, it's at, at its root. It's an observational comedy routine. It's mm-hmm. it's yeah. Michael McIntyre at the London Palladium. Mm-hmm. Going, yes, you go to a restaurant, don't you? Oh, you know. Oh, how many people are going to come? Oh, I don't know what's going to happen. Oh, oh, oh my gosh. Oh, is Dave coming? Oh, oh, he's bringing Sarah. Oh, oh, no, he's spit up Sarah. They're not coming. Oh my god. Oh, what's going on? How many pop ups do we need? Oh. <laughs> Speaking right. of impressions, we found a new one. Um, yeah, there you go. But what would it sound like if Billy Connolly said it, Mark? Well, the thing about it is that you go into you go into a restaurant and you're always trying to book. Like, are, is he going to turn up? And you never know. That's the thing about it. You never know. Observational comedy is not that that great. It's just listing things that people that people know, relying on their prior knowledge of it, and them going. I recognise that. That's a thing that I've seen. The comedy of recognition, yes. Or the laugh of recognition, as but it's what called, But yes. what the bad news engine, what the Bistromath um, does is is it takes that into an absurdity that then gives licence for you to find it funny again. So it, it, it redeems it. So um, it's it's like the way that, that Stuart Lee can take a routine like that and he can take it into an absurd direction and he can do some new and different things with it, which actually mean at, at the core of his jokes, you're laughing firstly about the things that you recognise. And then secondly, you're laughing at the absurdity that you're laughing at the things you recognise. And then thirdly, you're enjoying the artifice of what he's doing. Um, and so f- for me, the reason why I, I like these things is because I'm very simple-minded and I like to be shown things that I know. And now it's time to buy a vowel. When a wedding breaks out between Prince Gid of the Soufling Dynasty and Princess Huli of Rayoi Alpha, Trillian Astra travels to the Bijanj territory to file her report. Danny, you've been to some odd places in the name of journalism. Care to share? Uh, okay, uh, the, the oddest place, which actually is 
uh, incredibly imp- crushingly normal um on the surface of it is uh a little place near us called Lewes. no it's not called Lewes. it's called lewis but it's spelled l e w e s and so i don't my dyslexic brain just reads that as lewis because that's lose lose i'm with you yeah yep. um so yeah it's incredibly normal it's nice it's middle class it's it's a little bit like a seaside town that's nowhere near a seaside it's got quite quite a lot of bookshops and secondhand bookshops that's quite nice a few pubs they've got a brewery there so all the ales kind of local and stuff it's all very nice up until the um, 5th of November. Have you ever heard of the Lewis Bonfire? Only through you. So uh, please uh, educate John if he doesn't know about it and uh, and dear listener. Okay. Um, the Lewis Bonfire is one of the most dangerous, most insane things that I have ever witnessed. Wow. In an age of health and safety and um, making sure that nobody sues each other and, um, you know, being careful of things, this is... Literally one of the most dangerous things I've ever ever over attended because it is always packed. So essentially, it comes from history. The um, gunpowder plot, the the fifteen Protestants that were um, seventeen Protestants, met in Lewis before they travelled up to London to do the bonfire plot, right. uh, the gunpowder plot, right? Right. Uh, Guy Fawkes being one of them. Um, ever since then, they've held either a celebration of his death or a celebration of his attempt, depending on which king is in power and, and what God they worship. So when the Catholics are in power, it's always a celebration of the fact that he got caught. Right. And whenever the uh, Protestants are in power, it's always a celebration of the fact that he tried. I think there's six or seven bonfire societies. Okay. And they're all based in different, different areas of Lewis, and they plan all year. So it's a little bit like Mardi Gras with the crews. Right. And they plan all year, and each one of them have a, has a procession to a huge bonfire Okay, that happens on the outskirts of the city. Take into the fact that they also march um, big um, wicker paper mache idols of different people. So it'll, there'll always be one of the Pope. And the different societies are actually um, in competition with each other. So what they will do is some of them will attend the other people's processions and throw lit fireworks and what? things on fire what? at the other person's idols to try and set them on fire before they get to the bonfire because that would be a win. So there's actually people from each society that are employed as beaters that kind of bat away the the sticks of fire and the fireworks back into the crowd. You, you should come down. I invite. I invite you both. We we're going. We're definitely going this year. We missed it last year, but we're definitely going this year. We, we invite you both down. This episode is brought to you thanks to the generosity of Audible and their superb audiobook service. If you like to hear stories rather than read them, Audible's got your back with over 180,000 titles and their great listen guarantee, which means if you don't love a book, you can swap it out for something else, which has to be a book. You can't just like swap it out for a lizard. This week, we wanted to recommend Billy Liar by Keith Waterhouse, narrated by the superb John Sim. It's the story of a man who lies his way into and out of every situation, and you can pick this up and try out the Audible service for 30 days by going to audibletrial.com slash leopard. And thank you to Audible for their support of Beware of the Leopard. And now, let's just grab some air. 
Blagulon Kappa is a planet rich in methane. It's where our old friends Bang Bang and Shooty come from, and the incompatibility in atmosphere between it and Magrathea is ultimately responsible for their deaths. It is orbited by a prison moon, and the lifers on the moon sometimes play the game Bada Bingo. John, what are the rules to Bada Bingo? The rules of Bada Bingo are that you have uh, a lot of people sat around a table after dinner. They are in their middle age, and someone goes, oh, should we have a game of uh, Bada Bingo? Uh, because they've already played Trivial Pursuit the week before. And Bada Bingo is a catchphrase game, uh, name the catchphrase game, based on the TV commercials from the 1990s, and it takes its name from the Goodfellas commercials of the 1990s, which included, and this isn't me doing a bad Brooklyn accent, this is me doing a good impression of the bad Brooklyn accent on the advert, uh, included the phrase at the end, uh, in stores with ice compartments. <laughs> That's very John Travolta. Uh, so it's, it's, it's all your catchphrases. That's what I think better bingo would be. Now, who's for opera? Blanwellanum of Woont is an opera by Rizgar, whose closing piece, March of the Anjaquantine Starguard, from Act 4, was performed by the Halopolis State Opera and was heard by Random when she stumbled upon the wreckage of the ship Arthur Crash landed in in the final Adam's novel. He was supposedly pretty depressed when he wrote this. Uh, Adams, not Rizgar. But it's one of the little throwaway flights of fancy that I really enjoy about the series. What say you, Danny? Right, here's the thing. I'm super dyslexic. I'm sure I mentioned it before. I play, I play that card with regular alacrity. like, and, and, <laughs> um, So I don't really read in the same way most people read. Well, actually, most people do read like this after a while, but like how I learned to read is to recognise the squiggle that is the word and what that word is rather than sound things out because I've got a phonic processing thing. So I, I never sound words out. So whenever there's a word that I can't, don't recognise, like names, my eyes just scan completely past it and kind of log that word in as, oh, in context, that probably means something if it comes up again. Go, go look at it. So whenever Douglas Adams or any other science fiction author has a lot of these words jammed together, I just completely skip it. Like, like I absolutely no pay attention to that particular paragraph, that that section at all. So I never really read these things. I, I know that I'm missing out on some like wonderful like sounding words and how they bounce along. And and but if I was but to actually enjoy that sort of word or enjoy that sort of writing, I'd have to completely change the way I read, which I don't. So if I'm honest, I skip past something like that and go to the bits that I recognise. For that, I mean, I've I've really got to, um, and this will come up again, I think, at at other points, uh, probably more than once, but I have to massively tap uh, or or take, it was either either I was going for take my hat off or tip my cap, and I think I got got stranded in between the two. Um, (laughs) I'll tap my kit off to... um, To Martin Freeman, who uh, does, who reads the four remaining books because Stephen Fry nabbed the first one. And as much as I love me some Fry, I think 
um, Martin Freeman does a better job and he, he breezes over these. Obviously, I'm sure, you know, he, he's read the books many times in preparation. I'm not, you know, sure he's a fan necessarily, but he, you know, he would have read through these in preparation and, and maybe took a, a few run ups to, to, to get through them. But he does that stuff with with great ease and it makes it very enjoyable to listen to and he he does a great job with the characters and stuff and he is someone that we will talk about later in in further episodes but i just wanted to give a quick shout out because uh, you know for for those with a um a phonic processing thing or like me who reading is is just an effort because you have stupid eyes then audiobooks really do as 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 is going to sound they really do bring that kind of stuff to life because it enables you to not just enjoy things that other people enjoy and be able to be on that level playing field but also in certain circumstances to get more enjoyment out of them because part of what you're then enjoying is the performative aspect of of hearing these words and hearing them you know pronounced in a in a funny way all right very good uh so the results are in for our hypothetical zaphod poll and with a staggering 0% of the vote, Caitlyn Jenner, I don't think anyone's surprised, uh, with 42% of the vote is Noel Fielding and Serge from Kasabian combined. Ooh, I actually, that one really grew on me, particularly when you did the graphic. <laughs> and I was like, oh, they do, they do just look right, don't they? Mm. They, looked, they, they looked good together. Indeed. But with 58% of the vote... It's Trump and Brexit all over again. Mr. Hickman, you'll be pleased to hear. Hashtag Pit Dep is yes. the winner. Yes, I love me some Pit Dep. The hybrid Chimera statue of um, of Brad Pitt and Johnny Depp. Uh, our, our new pick uh, to uh, to play Zaphod Beeblebrox. Well done, internet. Uh, so what are our thoughts about Trillian then? I don't know. She's such a nothing character. Yeah, she's... Okay, well... <laughs> Do- she doesn't do anything. Like she's she's there for Arthur to kind of lust after. So we, we've talked we've talked about this issue this issue before, and what we're going to have to do, gents. Um, I, don't, I don't mean to be the, uh, the the moderator here, and you know the facilitator, like we're on an away day. Sure, but um, we need to break down the problem, gents. Okay, okay? okay. we just need to get into a bit of a thought shower. Okay, um, oh, I feel dirty even saying the word thought shower, which is ironic, really. We've, we've got some. We've got some decisions here. So we've got we've got an Arthur to play off. Firstly, so we, we need to be casting against that somebody who you'd like to see with our Arthur, who's Simon Pegg. Then we've got the decision of can we make some decisions to? Um, I just said decisions far too many times. Then then we've got the the problem of are we going to uh, give Trillian a lot more agency and screen time and uh, make her a more rounded character? Or are we going to follow the mode that we've got? Now, I've got suggestions based on whichever way you go with that, but I want to know which way you want to go. I think I think we have to cast her um, in, in sort of imagining that Netflix will fund the entire season, uh, the entire series of, of five stories, mm-hmm. um, probably taking some of the books and breaking them up into double seasons. Um, so we will see quite a lot of Trillion. So I think she, I think we have to do her justice um, because she does have a, a, a bit of a part to play, certainly in book five. Yep. Uh, we, you know, the book five 
arguably she is the sort of co-star so she has and and she ends up playing two versions of herself um so straight away i ha- i have a, a suggestion uh, of tatiana maslany because we know that she can play multiple versions of herself uh if you're un- unsure of who that is she is in a series on bbc america called black no called orphan black, orphan black. thank you and uh she's she's great she i I would probably advise that she doesn't try the british accent because she's not great at it but she's a fantastic actor and i would enjoy seeing her as a trillion i wouldn't see her as a trillion but i do like her a lot she might she might be a bit young for um for simon peg though that might be an issue okay playing off peg and thinking about the fact that we might want somebody with uh, a little bit more agency you could just play it a real straight bat and get Jessica Hines in mm-hmm. because um, they work well together. Obviously, the dynamic we know in Spaced, um, Tim's a bit more alpha in a kind of a nasty way um, and Daisy's a bit more passive. But Jessica Hines' more recent work, um, she's been the alpha character. She's led things. And uh, also, she's obviously got quite a strong line in... Um, developing strong female characters and she's done some stuff around feminism and stuff recently. So if you wanted to have a, a, a mold breaking trillion, mm. you can maybe get her involved and actually you could do worse than get her to write the character. It's mm. not a bad shout. I would suggest, and this is my, this is, this is my one suggestion. This is, this is the one I'm banking on. Uh, Tamsin Grieg. Nice. Very, very nice. Because she can be plain looking which would give um, Arthur a chance to actually think he stands a chance with her. But also she can be stunning looking. Mm -hmm. She could pull off the scientist thing really well and also be um, assertive and, but without being feisty. And there's a, there's some lovely universe connecting in, in the fact that they've worked together before. Um, I, yeah, I, I really like that. Going in a slightly different direction, but with a bit of universe uh, connection that you, that you're like, um, and Danny's immediately going to veto <laughs> these ones, I think. If you want to go in the direction of the pretty, pretty, um, just something there for Arthur to play off, you could reach into the Doctor Who universe and you could just take Jenna Coleman straight away. I'd take Gillen over Coleman. Oh, Gillen's a good show. I think Jenna, I think Jenna Coleman, um, we've seen her do sort of school teacher and we've seen her do those sorts of bits before. Mm. Um, so I think she can probably uh, switch on a little bit of, I am playing the character of somebody who's who's got, got a brain, even if the script's not going to let me show you kind <laughs> of stuff. Whereas I don't know that I've seen that in Gillen. Hey, but look, here's the real, here's the real Who Connection one that I came up with. And then this is the one where I only just realised that there's a bigger, big picture to it, which is you want to go the pretty, pretty younger, um, obviously somebody that you'd see across the room at a party and go and, and want to chat up who then would be taken off. Um, you want to make a Doctor Who connection. Yeah, you Jenna Coleman, but the, the one is Georgina Moffat. George, Georgia Moffat. Oh, Georgia yeah. Moffat, right? She's married to David Tennant. Peter Davidson is her dad. Who's her mum, boys? Who's her mum? I don't know. I don't know, Mr. Hickman. Sarah Dickinson. Trillion from the BBC TV show of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Mind blown dot gif. So she was on my list and I only just clocked that she's Sarah Dickinson's daughter. And I, I couldn't be happier about that. That's that's fantastic. Yeah, no, that, that that's kind of neat. So just because of those connections, I think that... And my, my, last, my last one was 
someone again who can you can do some gravitas and who's worked with uh peg olivia coleman because basically she can be in anything that she wants to be oh god her her and nicola walker i i just i absolutely adore both of those actors i just think they are wonderful um some of some of britain's finest female acting in this current generation um and i'd 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 go for both of those in the role of trillion i'd yeah it's fine yeah they, they can both play anything <laughs> if we were gonna um have like a slightly older more stern more assertive trillion which i would very much like i'm thinking kate blanchett yeah mm. I th- I think that she's got that slightly older, mature, interesting, but could be quite cheeky and and um and fun. I think she I think she's got the the comedy chops as yeah, well. Yeah. So if you want to cast your vote, then go to btlpodcast.com, Look for the blog, and let us know what you think. You can also hit us up, as they say, on Twitter at btlpodcast. Now back to the bees and Blart Versenwald the third. Blart Versenwald III is one of the greatest benefactors of all life kind who couldn't keep his mind on the job in hand. Brilliant? Certainly. One of the foremost genetic engineers of his or any other generation, including a number he had designed himself? Without a doubt. The problem was that he was far too interested in things which he shouldn't be interested in. At least, as people would tell him, not now. Blart crops up right at the end of So Long and Thanks for All the Fish, closing the book with the phrase, There was a point to this story, but it has temporarily escaped the chronicler's mind. This might be the closest allusion Adams has ever made to his life as a writer. And again, I have to turn to you, Danny. Does any of that strike a chord? Well, it's um, it's kind of famous that um, Douglas Adams suffered from writer's block and missed deadlines often. I like to think of it as a message to other writers saying, you know, the things that are distracting you are the things that actually have the worth and they're the things that your mind is obviously thinking about. So, you know, know, they have value. That's kind of nice. But also, like, I'm a bit icky with thinking that because my, my problem is he's describing himself in that position. So therefore, he's describing himself as the greatest benefactors of all life kind. Yeah. And I don't think he had that arrogance. I genuinely don't think that he would put an illusion that, that, that and have himself in that position. Maybe it's more um, that it's, it's less about him as a person himself. And maybe it's about um, talented writers in general and, and, you know, him being able to admit that he's talented and basically just saying, look, you know, publishers whoever you'll when when's this due when it's ready like you'll get it when it's ready you'll get it when it's done um and you know some of us talented as we are get distracted by things and so maybe he's saying the finest writer you can imagine will still get distracted by um a, a floofy little idea that appears in his head so maybe it's not him maybe he's he's producing an archetypal Writer character to be able to project as a as an example. Yeah, I, I mean that's that's how I'd like to take it, definitely. Um, but yeah, the, the, there is there is a grain of truth there. I mean, there's also a hell of a lot of untruth there. Like the flights of fancy aren't necessarily the thing that's going to 
you know, save you from the ravaging hordes. Like, concentrating on the actual thing and thinking that out and then taking all the bad stuff that you get from thinking of the bad thing and then editing it into something nice is the actual more useful message it's 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 very easy to read a lot into this this final chapter because there are i mean th- there's lines basically saying that um he he, he needed to find a, a solution to um to a, a war problem do it quickly uh they told him and concentrate so he sat by a window and looked out at a summer lawn and, and designed and designed and designed but inevitably got a little distracted by things and it's sort of it, it carries on in that vein and, and i think you can't help but but see that as not necessarily just writerly procrastination to um needlessly invent a word but any kind of creative pursuit. The other theory is that he wasn't being as general. This was a message specifically to the publishers for specifically the book So Long and Thanks for All the Fish. Because this was one of the ones that he was definitely under the hammer for and was definitely hassled to write. So it potentially is is a message specifically to the publishers of them well that's that's genuinely how i read it that was my initial initial reading is it this is this is a note to the publisher and you've got that that sly line right at the end this is eh, can't remember why i should uh mention something like that you know it's uh, that's how i read it ah uh, that that reads a lot better for me yeah okay time to flash the cash in the Hitchhiker's Universe, you press the panel on a debit card, it makes an instant debit on your bank account and an instant credit to the shop's account. Body debit means you press this card and it debits all of your molecules from where you're standing and your body goes into credit somewhere else. It was a crude form of teleportation Adams devised as a way to help Zaphod and Rooster escape from the Frogstar, or so we think. John, is this cute and clever or a bit clumsy? This kind of brings us full circle back to Bistromatics, um, in this in 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 the sense of uh, me somehow becoming Douglas Adams' uh, champion in terms of just the practicalities of sometimes <laughs> he needs to move the story forward, and you need to not sweat the small stuff and worry about the science quite so badly. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you just need a device to move things on and 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 get the get the plot moving forward. And and it's not um, as much as Danny has argued in the past that it is. It's not, to my mind, hard hard science fiction. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I don't I don't need uh, one of Mark's favourite Scandi noir over descriptions of how this works. <laughs> I just need the people to move from the one place to the to, to the next. So as yeah. far as I'm concerned, I'm going to label it as uh, as a bit of fun. Danny, you have the floor to tell me why it should be more scientific. It's it's just so lazy. You nailed it with the lazy description. It is not even a good joke. It's, oh, look, here's a thing that happens in the world. Imagine if that I was... I don't actually know that it is meant to be that much of a joke, to be honest, because there are jokes around it um, where a, a Rooster, I think, says... Um, I prefer hard cash. If you can't scratch a window with it, I don't accept it. Yeah, 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 but get this. I, I do think it was just, you know, it's a quirky mode of transport, but I don't think it was necessarily meant to be a joke joke. It just doesn't work. It doesn't make any internal logic like a, a a lot of the really good stuff about douglas adams is that like there is an internal logic the the verisimilitude of the universe actually 
you know, appears quite throwaway, but kind of hangs together. And I would argue he found that more in the books than he did because this only appears in the radio series. Um, yeah, and there's a reason why he didn't include it because it's just, I think it's a throwaway joke referencing something that was probably quite new at the time, like debit cards and, and whatnot. Surely, because I, I think the last time that I used a ka-chunk, ka-chunk, ka-chunk credit card machine was in like 1999. Um, so that would have been the, still the main way of paying for things with cards when this was written. And so um, this is kind of near future stuff, the idea of automated credit card and debit card transactions, even at the point where he's writing it. It's not really mainstream yet. Um, and so, you know, you you, you look through a lot of... Um, popular cult and science fiction stuff that's that's playing with with new ideas you know look at all the really famous examples of the way that the internet's represented in Buffy the Vampire Slayer which was kind of right on the cusp of the internet being something people actually had in their houses and still got everything wrong um so you you as a as a writer you you play on those things and it's it's very much in the schooling that he would have got through doing Doctor Who of well what's in the zeitgeist now because because Doctor Who right now still um, they they will get stories that feel like something you saw in the news yesterday, even though they've been filmed six months earlier. Well, I think this leads to my main problem with this particular bit, and that uh, I think Douglas Adams at his best was using science fiction to talk about being British, and especially being British in the context of the world and American culture and um, what it's like to be a British person, realising that the way that they've always done things isn't necessarily how it's done um, everywhere else, um, which is a big shock to an Englishman because how you do things is how it's done. So I, I, like, I always think that... So when you get something like the body debit thing, you expect him to make a larger point or do something cleverer with it rather than just reference a thing that's happening in the world. I kind of want him to make a, a better point with him and disappointed that he doesn't. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I do. I, I do know what I mean. And that's where I think I've been quite generous just then in saying, well, sort of saying I could imagine a Doctor Who story or serial that revolves around that technology of body debit as, as a satire of capitalism, as you becoming your credit card and a facsimile within that rather than an actual piece of meat. Um, but he obviously he hasn't done that here. But that's the kind of the first step, isn't it? It's the kind of thing that that would there have been time in the show, and may, you know who knows, maybe there was a draft where this existed, where there would have been a lovely explanation of body debiting that could have really sold the joke uh, as you know so much that you actually forgive the the fact that it doesn't actually make any kind of sense, and you know you know he he did such a great job of embellishing his ideas and adding flesh to those bones in the little Peter Jones, uh, you know, in the radio station TV thing, you know, the, or, or the guide is explaining, here's what the guide says about body debiting. And it would have had something hilarious about, you know, the fact that, uh, the Altarian dollar has collapsed, or you need seven thousand ningies to the to the pew. Like you say, like check, check your balance to make sure that that the that, that things come through. That's obviously an, an idea we have, but also um, the checks in the mail. Yeah. So the idea that everybody says, "Oh, yeah, I've sent the payment. Have you not got the payment?" So I'm like, "Oh, Mark, I've sent Danny to you. Have you not? Has Danny not arrived?" <laughs> Whereas, like, actually, Danny's just in the in the background making me a sandwich. 
Um, but or he's he's been held in escrow. Yeah, he's held held in escrow. But then there's other things, and and this is where you can start to build some interesting uh, satirical elements to it. There, there is a lot you can do with it. Yeah, absolutely. But sadly, we are now officially out of show. Mr. Hickman, where can people find you and what you're up to? I'm up to quite a lot of things at the minute, so just follow at John Hickman and and pick it all up from there. Nice. Danny? I did a, um, after the Manchester bombings, I did a zine. Um, I got a bunch of writers and a bunch of people together and we made like a fanzine um, describing the gig of your life. Um, because I, I just don't, I don't find it personally offensive that somebody would target a gig like that. Like a gig is supposed to be the thing that you love, the thing that, that like the once in a lifetime event. Um, so we got together, we asked people to, for their responses to the uh, phrase gig of your life and people sent us their text and we turned it into this wonderfully designed uh, zine. I, I can say that because I didn't design it. Um, this wonderfully designed zine and uh, we're selling it in aid of the um, bombing pill and a charity in Manchester that works with young people uh, to do with music and uh, if you want to know more or you want to buy one of those zines which I strongly urge you to do because they're very very good um, go visit gigofmylife.co.uk and give us your money. Excellent. Well, there you go. Oh, uh, a, a very small plug is that uh, John Hickman and I have a, a secret little project. Um, we are trying to make ourselves better adults, better humans, trying to understand what we want out of this world and hold ourselves accountable. And we're doing that because one of us is a possibly a waxing millennial and the other one is a waning gen xer um <laughs> we've called it thread and you can find it currently at thread.fm so uh if you would like to hear us uh doing more of the same then uh, then yeah thread.fm is uh, where you can go and hear us being uh funny and possibly interesting for around 50 minutes and that just about wraps it up for the leopard. You can tweet or email us your theories about Blurt Versenfold or, or Versenfold the third, or Versenwald or Versenwald, whichever way you like to pronounce it. All pronunciations are available, and all the links you'll need are at btlpodcast.com, along with all of our past episodes, links, and show notes. Thanks again to Audible for sponsoring this episode. Don't forget to pick up your free audiobook and start your 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com/leopard. And we'd very much appreciate a review on Apple Podcasts, a star in Overcast, or any other way that you can show some love and spread the word. We'll be back next Thursday, so until then, share and enjoy. I don't know. <laughs> I think Mark's got to get a drink too. <laughs> and welcome to Beware of the Leopard. That was a great impression. Was it? Uh, we'll say <laughs> Thanks. You know how fragile my <laughs> ego is and how gullible I am when it comes to it. <laughs>